Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your household are doing well. We are still on the subject of uh, uh, our identity and our authority in Christ. And we have begun to talk about uh, the greater subject of the authority of the believer, the authority uh, that, that we have in Christ Jesus. And uh, yesterday, you know, we basically talked about some examples of how um, the, the disciples of Jesus used their authority. And um, I, I want to repeat a couple of the scriptures. The first one was Acts 10.19, which says, Behold, I give you authority and power to trample upon serpents and scorpions, and physical and mental strength and ability. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. That's why it has these extra, extra words here. Over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall in any way harm you. So Jesus, he told his disciples, say, he said, I have given you authority and I have given you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall ever harm you. So when Jesus sends us out, uh, with power over the devil, we need not fear because Jesus said he has given us the power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. There's no power that the enemy has that is exempt from our authority. He says he has given us power over all the uh, powers of the enemy and nothing Nothing, nothing shall ever harm you. And that it is on the basis of this word that we have the boldness to face anything. When we stand on the word of God, when we take the commandments of Jesus and we stand on them, we can be totally fearless and serve God, even in, you know, in, in, in difficult places where there's a lot of demonic activity. Uh, so, uh, and then in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, then it says, He appointed 12 to continue to be with him that he might send them out to preach as apostles or special messengers. It's interesting that Jesus appointed his, uh, uh, you know, these 12 men to be apostles uh, with two purposes, uh, twofold purposes. One was they could be with him. That's the first thing. Uh, if, if a person is an apostle, he is good. Two things that are his main thing. Firstly, he is to be with Jesus, to continue to be with him. And the second thing, he sent them out to preach as apostles. That means that um, uh, this is the main thing about, uh, about apostleship. I mean, there's many other aspects also, but the two main aspects of apostleship is firstly, an apostle is with Jesus. He spends time with Jesus, continue to be with him, and then... Uh, he then he would send them out to preach and to have authority and power to heal the sick and Christ out uh, and and cast out devils. So the first is to be with Jesus, and and the second thing that an apostle does is to preach the gospel and heal the sick and cast out devils. That means anybody who is an apostle should have a continuous stream of signs and wonders and miracles following him and demons being cast out. So uh, we see, here we see again this delegated authority, uh, the Greek word exousia, uh, that means delegated authority, regal authority as mandated by a king. We are sent out by the king of kings and the lord of lords to do his works, to spend time with him, and then to go out and cast out devils and heal the sick. And then the third scripture I want to show you is uh, Matthew 10, 7 to 8. And this is 
when he sent his apostles out, his disciples out, and this is what he said to them. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have received, freely give. So this is actually, you know, there's two things. Firstly, this shows the kind of authority that Jesus gave to his disciples, his apostles. And the second thing it shows us again, what is true apostleship? What is true apostleship? Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have received, freely give. So we are called to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and to exercise authority over demons and diseases. Now, now, now we go into the whole area of how do we stand in authority? How we stand in authority? I mean, how do we actually stand in authority? And I'm going to give you certain things to understand. The first thing is in James chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is very important for us to understand because the level of our submission to God and to his word, of course, because submitting to God's word is submitting to God. We cannot submit to God without submitting to his word. That means if we submit ourselves to God and to his word, then the devil will flee from us, uh, will flee from us. Sorry, the power, <coughs> the power of submission as we are submitted to God and to his word. So are devils submitted to us. These two go hand in hand. So he says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's in James verse uh, chapter four, verse seven. As we are submitted to God, so are the devils sub, uh, submitted to us. Revelation 1.18, and this is uh, when Jesus appeared to John in the Isle of Patmos, and this is the resurrected Christ. And he says, this, we know this is the resurrected Christ because he's saying, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys to hell and of death. Now, this is, this is important because, well, all these verses are important, but I want to highlight and point this out. Jesus said, I'm the one who's alive and I was dead. And he says, I live forevermore. And he says, now, this is important. I have the keys of hell and of death. Why did he say that? Because before Jesus rose from the dead, it was the devil who had the keys to hell and to death because keys symbolize authority and uh, keys symbolize the power to bind and to lose. That's what keys are for. And the devil had the keys because he took the keys from, uh, from Adam in the garden of Eve. And all these years, he carried the keys, they were his. But when Jesus died upon the cross, he took the keys from the devil, the keys of hell and of death. So that tells me one thing, that my life and my death are not in the hands of the devil. There was a time before Jesus died and before he rose again, when the devil could basically, uh, you know, he had the right to, to end a person's life. He could, he could say, you know, I'm going to get rid of this guy and he, will, he, he had the right to take you out. But now, no longer so, because the devil does not hold the keys to your death or to my death. The keys to your death and to my death are in the hands of Jesus Christ. When I'm going to leave this world is 
in the hands of Jesus. And this is a, a, and, and, a and, 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 you know, this is an important fact because um, the thing is that people go around saying, well, you know, you never know, you know, like somebody said, oh, if I get COVID-19, I die, I can get run over a bus. No, I'm not going to get run over a bus. The devil does not decide when and how I'm going to die. My life and my death are in the hands of the Lord because Jesus is the one who has the keys and I will live as long as I have a purpose on this earth and when my purpose is done, he's going to take me home. As long as I have a calling on my life and there's a purpose in my life, I'm going to stick around because the devil cannot end or terminate my life when he wants to because the keys to my life and my death are in the hands of Jesus. That is something we can be uh, assured of. I want you to understand because many people live in the fear of death. They live in the fear of when the devil might, you know, take them out and, 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 and end their lives. Uh, but he cannot, he doesn't have that power anymore. He can have that power if I take the keys of my life from the hands of Jesus and I give them to the devil, yes. And that I can do through the confession of my mouth and what I believe, I can I can actually give the, the devil the right to do whatever he wants me to because I, because I speak and I believe that which he wants me to speak and to believe. So as long as I ascribe to Satan that he is this almighty creature, he can do whatever he likes with me, well, then I'm handing the keys of my life and my death to him. But you and I are not going to do that. We are going to walk in faith and we are going to acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives and he is the one who decides when it's time for me to go. I mean, every person has a life. We come to this world, we leave this world, but it is in the hands of Jesus Christ no more in the hands of the devil. And I'm not going to empower the devil by saying such things like, I don't know, you know, you listen, don't talk that kind of talk, speak faith. Okay. So uh, then it says, so we are talking about the keys. Jesus says, um, you know, uh, I have the keys of hell and of death. So Jesus had the keys. But in Matthew 16, verse 19, we see that how he gives the keys to the church. He says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We are going to talk, talk more about this later on uh, tomorrow or day after. And I, I will I'll explain to you what it means, uh, you know. But the thing is that uh, we see here that Jesus took the keys from Satan and and then Jesus uh, when he ascended to heaven, he gave the keys to the church. And, uh, and so now the church is the one that has power and authority on this earth. And we must, and, and we must exercise that power and authority in the name of Jesus as his representatives on his behalf. And we can, we see Peter, how he took out the keys and used them on the day of Pentecost. And these are the keys, uh, uh, you know, not of hell or of death, but these are the keys of the kingdom of heaven. These are the keys of, that give us the power to bind and to loose. And Jesus handed the keys to the church. And then Peter used the keys on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Ghost fell, he, he opened the doors of heaven by preaching the gospel 
and thousands of souls were added to him that day. So we have those keys to bring salvation to people, to lose people from the bondage of Satan, to lose people from the from the bondage of uh, uh, of, of of sin and uh, from the bondage of physical and mental diseases and illnesses. And we can we have the keys to open the doors for people and to deliver them from the power of demonic activities. So uh, now we are talking about how, uh, you know, how we stand in authority and uh, and those basics. So now let me read to you. I want to spend some time in the first and the second chapter of Hebrews because this is uh, for us to understand how we stand in authority and how we exercise authority. This is all important. And in Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 8, it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, <coughs> when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he uh, by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than, the, than they. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews, this is the first chapter. He begins this, uh, uh, the, you know, this book by he's talking about how God, who at different times in history, he spoke in time past to the fathers. The fathers are the patriarchs. Parks, you know, he's talking about because this book was written to the Hebrew Christians. He's writing to Abraham, you know, about Abraham and Moses. They were the patriarchs. So he says that, uh, and the other prophets. So he says that God has at different times in different manners uh, spoken to us, to spoken to the fathers, you know, spoken to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So this is interesting. He says that in the times past, you read about the patriarchs and it says how God spoke to them through prophets, through centuries and centuries. God spoke to them through prophets. But these days, God has spoken to us not through prophets, but he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. Then, it, then he begins to, uh, to talk about uh, the glory of Jesus and uh, how much more glorious he is than the prophets. So he's trying to emphasize that uh, we must understand the full importance of what Jesus has spoken to us because it is far greater than what the prophets spoke in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament was good, it was of God, but what he has spoken to through Jesus is far greater and far more um, important and then he begins to talk about the glory of this son through whom God has spoken to the church. And he says, who being the brightness of his glory. That means that Jesus is the brightness of the glory of the father and the express image of his person, that Jesus is the image of the person of God. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, if you have seen the father. So Jesus is, is totally uh, like who the father is. And he says, and upholding all things by the word of his power. 
That means that Jesus is the brightness of the glory of, uh, uh, of God. He's the express image of the person of the Father. And not only that, but this Jesus, he upholds everything by the word of his power. That means that the whole universe as we know it, the earth and the creatures on the earth and the skies, the heavens, the every everything that is in the universe were created by Jesus when he spoke the word of God. But they're also upheld by the word of Jesus. So if God was to take away his word, the whole universe would collapse. So this is powerful that Jesus is the one who upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. And incidentally, I mentioned this and this Jesus, his words have been given to us. You see this book, these are the, this is the word with which God created the universe and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is why this book is so important. This, this is the word of God. This is the written word of God. Everything Jesus says is right here. And so that, that's why our relationship with this book is of utmost importance. The tighter, the closer our relationship with this book, the more of God and the more of his presence and power we will have in our lives. So um, anyway, so it says that uh, by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right of his ma uh, right hand of the majesty on high. This is powerful. That means that this Jesus, who is the, who is the image of the, of, of, of the Father, the brightness of the glory of the Father, who upholds all things by the word of his power. This Jesus, this glorious Jesus, who is God himself, he actually came down to this earth and died for our sins, taking our sins upon himself and purging us from all of our sins, all our shortcomings, failures, and sins, Jesus purged us from those things. And then he ascended to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Then it says, being so much, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name, name than he. That this Jesus is so glorious that he is far greater than the angels. And he has obtained a far more excellent name than that. So that means that the angels have names, but the name of Jesus is the wonderful name that is above every name. Hallelujah. So we have uh, the name of Jesus is a glorious name. It is uh, uh, more excellent than the name of any angel. Then verse five, it says, for unto which of the angels did God ever say, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will to be, I will be to him <coughs> a father and he shall be to me a son. To which of the angels uh, did God ascribe sonship and said, you are my son. And he says, none. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. That means that when Jesus came into this world, all the angels actually worshiped him. The angels proclaimed his coming and they worshiped him. And then of the angels, this is what God says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the son, he says, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. This is the scepter of thy kingdom. So he says, the angels, God makes his angels spirits 
and his ministers, that means his servants, a flame of fire. God makes his ministers a flame, a flames of fire. But to his son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. That means the scepter is the is like a staff that the king, you know, it's like a, something about about uh, two, three feet long. It is it is a symbol of authority, the symbol of power that a king holds. So the one who holds the scepter is the king. So he says, uh, your a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. That this that means that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness. And then, so this is this is to give us a background so that we understand who it is that is speaking to us. Because in the old covenant, God spoke to the angels, uh, you know, to the prophets. He spoke to prophets. He spoke to angels, to the fathers. But now he has spoken to us through his son. Then it tells us how great the son is, that he's actually God. He's the one who made all this, who sustains all this. And all the angels worship him. And he's the image, the reflection of who the father is, so on and so forth. So in Hebrews chapter one, and there's more verses there that I'm skipping over. He's actually telling us the glory of the son and to show us how much glorious the son of God is above the prophets of the old Testament and the angels. Then we go to Hebrews chapter two. It says, therefore, we ought to give the most earnest, more earnest heed to the things which you have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So this is, this is important because here he's saying that because God has spoken to us, not by the prophets or the angels, but because he has spoken to us through his son, who is the reflection of the glory of the father who, who created all things. It says that, that is why, because of who the one is who has spoken to us, the Son of God himself, we ought to give serious attention and heed to the things that we have heard and not let them slip. Because it says, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience was punished, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, which first was spoken to us by the Lord and was confirmed to us by the apostles who heard him. So this is what I'm saying. You know, when we what is actually saying is this, when we see what is in the Bible, how Jesus preached the gospel, how he preached liberty, how he preached deliverance, how he brought salvation to all mankind, how he brought healing to mankind. Let me just say this, what he's saying that those things are not up for discussion by theologians teaching in seminaries who want to tell us things like, well, you know, sometimes God doesn't want to heal everybody and we got to figure that. Listen, those things are not up for discussion because those are things that God has spoken to us and we cannot afford to neglect 
what Jesus did for us upon the cross. We cannot neglect the realities of redemption. We cannot neglect the fact that Jesus bore the sins of all mankind, that Jesus bore the diseases, physical and mental, and he bore the torments of all mankind, that Jesus offers salvation and he offers peace and healing to every man, woman and child on this earth. That is why we need to preach and to proclaim these things and not neglect these things and replace them with their own theological uh, diatribes, you know, thinking we are so smart that the word of God is there, but it's not good enough. And we got to add to it and, and correct it and to explain to people what it actually means, because there's other facts that, you know, that listen, we cannot do that. We have to be clear cut about the gospel that we preach. And the gospel that we preach is that salvation is for everybody. Healing is for everybody. Deliverance is for everybody. The price that Jesus paid is for every human being. Doesn't matter what their race, what their religion, what their creed. And, and the price that, the, that our Lord Jesus paid is a total price. It covers every need of every human being. And that is something we, you know, we have to preach. We must bring the cross to the center and preach the cross and preach the blood and preach about the price that Jesus paid. And that is the gospel. And he's saying, we must give heed to these things that we have heard because uh, because if we don't, we are going to suffer for it. We're going to suffer and pay the price if we neglect these things and preach other nonsense. And it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Then it says uh, that Jesus confirmed it, the apostles confirm it. And then it says, verse 4, God also bearing the witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gift of the whole gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is that these facts, these truths of redemption, these truths of what Jesus did upon the cross, giving salvation and healing and deliverance and peace to all mankind. God, he bears them witness through signs, wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say one thing. Signs, wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit are not there to point at a man to show you how anointed this man is or how great his faith is. Signs, wonders and miracles are there to attest to the power and the veracity of the gospel that the man preaches. It is the gospel that signs and wonders point to and not to a man or to a church. I want you to, I want you to understand this. Then it says here in verse six, but one in a certain place testified saying, what is man? This is actually from the Psalms that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visiteth him. Thou made him a lower, little lower than the angels that crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of the hand. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet for in that he put in subjection under his feet. He left nothing that is not put, put under him. But now we see not all things put under him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. What he's saying is this, that 
you know, I'm going to give you a gist of it, that God created man, made him the crown of his creation, gave him this earth dominion and gave him power over demons, diseases and what have you over all creation and all that and put everything in subjection under him. But he says, but we don't see that so. We don't say we can talk about man created in the image of God and man having power and dominion. He says, but man lost it and we don't see it. So he says, so who is man that you should even pay any attention to him? I mean, who is man? We creatures on this earth, you, we, uh, you gave us everything, but we lost everything before because of our own sin and disobedience. And, and yet you visit us. He says, and we, then we look at man, uh, the way God created him, but we don't see all that. We don't see all that glory upon man. We don't see the, him walking in the dominion, but we see Jesus. Hallelujah. And Jesus, he died for us and he rose again and he's crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So what he's saying is this, that we lost our authority and the authority we can walk in today. It's not that original Adamic authority that God gave to Adam, that that is gone forever. But so we do not walk in authority because of that glory and the authority that he gave to Adam. But we see Jesus. We walk in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ who died for us and who rose again from the dead. And we're going to talk. I'm run out of time. I'm going to talk about that more tomorrow. And it's going to be exciting. So let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus. I ask you to touch my brothers and sisters and bless their lives. Use them mightily for your glory. Continue to impart your word and faith into our hearts so that we may be filled with faith, filled with your goodness and do your works. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.